too often when I talk to players, what I find is they're trying to do it right versus trying to get it done. And if they get it done, they're going to do it right. But if they're trying to do it right, they may not ever get it done. And we are back for another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I've got my partner in crime, other co-host, Matt Cermak, aboard the train. And we are fired up. Guys, this was an unbelievable awesome. interview with one of our favorite guests, three-time guest, Dr. Brett McCabe, sports psychologist on the PJ Tour and many others. Uh, Matt, one of the best conversations we've had in a long time. Yeah, it was... Uh... He's just inspiring. He's yeah. just—he's incredible, and he's doing amazing things. So we'll get to it. But before yeah. we do, have what do we need to get to? In case you guys are new, uh, first of all, thank you. Welcome aboard the train. Our mission on the Par Train is to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again, on and off the course. And we believe that if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can essentially smile through anything. Trust me, I've lived it. We <laughs> interview PJ Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, mental coaches, everyday golfers like you and me. And more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you get out of your own way, shoot your lowest scores ever, and enjoy the ride. Sir, we're just making the mental game more relatable. That's what That's we're it, doing. We're right? More people. accessible. Exactly. So before we get to this episode, friends at Roback are helping us stay warm and not be restricted at all with our swings as we layer up in this colder weather. Um, yes. And guess what? Dr. Brett McCabe was wearing a Roback hoodie while we interviewed him, for those not on video. And he said... It's probably the best hoodie that he owns. Yeah, especially for being, like you say, he's, he's taller, he's a little bigger. And he said, so many brands, he can't get the right fit. Yeah. In case this is one of your first episodes hopping aboard the train, um, first of all, welcome. Second of all, you got to get yourself something nice come the holiday season. Or a lot of times, I don't know if you feel this way, sir, come the holidays or even my birthday, people are like, what do you want? And I never know. Yet, like throughout the year, you like get yourself stuff. But when it comes to like yeah. gift giving, I can never actually come up with like a good thing to get myself. I feel like Roback is one of the best gift ideas out there because it doesn't get nicer than this. Look, I'm wearing my Q-zip. You're wearing a vest and a polo. Nothing fits as good as Roback. The collars stay crisp. Everything is four-way stretch. It feels so good. It's so soft. Keeps you warm, but not too warm. No restriction in the swing. It's just, and they look good. You well, know, yeah. I, everyone that wears Roback serum buys more and more of it. Nobody is a one and done Roback buyer. And so if you're on the fence or maybe you've heard us talk about it, you've never gotten something, you get it as a gift. Hit our link and get 15% off. The link yeah. is in the show notes or linked in our bio at the Partrain on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. So oh, it's great. Yeah, no, Ev, I mean, you're right. I mean, if you're going to be layering up this winter, get some long sleeve pieces, you know, get some hoodies, get some Q-zip, get some vests. You're going to be lounging around, taking some time off, you know, over the holidays. Perfect for lounging around. You know, if you're going to be committed to hitting a gym at the new year, get their workout stuff, right? Yeah. We lo love the, we love the t-shirts. We yeah. love the long sleeve crew necks. So let's go. It's the versatility is what does it in the it really end. Is. You can wear it from golf to social events to lounging around. I'm not going to keep going on about it. If, if you hear this and you still don't get it, I don't know what else to say. It's by far my closet's filled with it. It's the best stuff there is. So hit the link in show notes, get 15% off your first order or get the link in our bio at the partner on Instagram, Twitter, give us a follow. Um, okay. Dr. Brett McCabe, to give you guys some context, we've had him on the show twice before. If this is your first time hearing him, I would highly recommend going back and listening to the other two with him. Um, 
think it was like episode 127 and 90-something. I, I yeah. forget the exact numbers. But um, search our catalog and, and find them. But Brett just wrote a new book called Break Free from Suckville, How a Simple Mental Change Will Spark Your Performance. And it's fantastic. Sermon and I both have it. It's an amazing book. It's got so many stories from his time winning two national championships at LSU and baseball. And now being a sports psychologist, really one of the top sports psychologists, we didn't even talk about it with him, but he coaches John Rahm, current number one player in the world, Billy Horschel, a bunch of other guys on tour, Sam Burns. And the LPGA too. LPGA. College he, teams. I mean, He's the sports psychologist for Alabama. Um, heard of it. Um, so I think Brett is really good at cutting through the BS and helping you acknowledge who you are and what you have that day, and what you have in general, what you have in the tank, and how to perform with what you have instead of constantly pushing against what you have, constantly reaching for more, constantly reaching for different things. I think Brett is just, this I think was my favorite interview we've, we've had with him, and I've loved the other ones, but yeah. there was something special with this interview that I think will leave people inspired, like you said in the intro, and just invigorated to go play, yeah. whatever they play, whether it's golf or in other sports or even in their job or family stuff. Like, it inspires you. Yeah, I think, you know what I love about Brett is he's kind of tough, right? He wants to go to battle with you. Yeah. Right? Like, he just wants to be in it with you. Yeah. Um, you know, some some coaches, mental coaches are, kind of give you all this great stuff from kind of a, you know, way above where he just wants to be in it and he wants to figure it out, make it work. What makes you tick? Um, I love what he said when he said, he, he wrote this book to himself and he talks yeah. about that. And you guys really got to stay to the end. He gave some incredible analogies too. We started talking surfing. I was loving it. Um, guys, he's the real deal. And, and he's very intentional and um, he, he wants to help. He's got, there's bigger messages out there than just playing great golf. Yeah. Um, about living your life and, and overcoming. So no, third time's a charm, you know, I mean, they're all charms, but I love saying that. So <laughs> yeah, was, love that, line. that was great. Um, you know, Brett said in another interview that we change our oil more than we focus on our own mental health, you know? And yeah. um, I've always hoped that this show gives people a little insight into how our own mental constructs impact our experience and our happiness or lack thereof. And um, I think this was another conversation that I hope gives people some tools that not only helps them shoot lower golf scores, but more importantly, become a happier person. And even if we get, no matter how many thousands of people that listen to our show, if one person goes from being depressed or down to a little bit more fulfilled and happy, then this shows a success in my yeah. mind. And I think this episode's a big part of that. So yeah, it's a way to uncover, maybe find joy. So yeah, no, this train's rolling. Ev. Love big it. Things. Well, if we have added value guys, it means the world. If you could give us a review on Apple podcasts so other people can experience that as well and inspired by your story give us a follow at the part train on instagram twitter and tiktok we love hearing from you we love the engagement um and we're always putting up new content every single day so um sir no matter if you've been in suckville for three months 
if you've been in Suckville for three minutes, uh, what do the, the folks got to do out there to break enjoy out? Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Dr. Brett McCabe, for the third time, welcome aboard the train. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's nice to be back. It's nice to be invited back because that means like <laughs> either somebody canceled and that you needed to fill the spot or I've done something well. You know, it's kind of like the Al Roker effect on The Tonight Show. If sure. Al Roker's on The Tonight Show, that means a star canceled and they just called and he always shows up. So maybe that's me. I don't know, Brett. You could be the star. <laughs> I don't know about you that. Could be. I don't know. No, that no, Roback no. hoodie you're wearing is is indicative of that. Uh, I like. I it. love this thing, man. It is the <laughs> best, the best, the best. Lots of throwback so, today. Yes. So, uh, Brett, before we take a trip, there Suckville is a few stops away right now. But before we okay. take the train to Suckville, uh, I wanted to ask you, what is the best part about Suckville? What What about Suckville can we embrace? Well, if, if we're in Suckville, I would say the best thing we can embrace about it is we're at least in it, right? We're in the hunt. We're, we're fighting and we're working and we're doing, we're going towards something we care about. Um, I would say that's probably the best aspect of Suckville that we're progressing. Look, if, if you're not, if you're not in a moment of, uh, friction and a moment of struggle, if a moment of grind, then you're probably not that advanced in your your life that means you're really really comfortable you're not really being challenged and so i would say probably the best part of being in suckville is that you've earned the right to be there we've talked about this before brett but i have my own coach that i talk to every week mm -hmm. and um when i have um an experience whether it's on the golf course or off many times off that just really grinds your gears like you can't break out of it it's so frustrating those are the moments where i come out of those calls and i'm like wow i just learned a shit ton about myself that I would not have known if an experience was super easy and nothing came from it. I think Suckville is probably the same. Yeah, it is hundred percent. I mean, look, you, you know, if you're constantly in your comfort zones, what we actually do is we restrict, we restrict even more. We would, we withdraw, we pull back. We don't go to the edges. You know, there's, <clears throat> you take a look at like golf, right? There are golf guys that will not play outside their club, but man, they're rock stars in their club. Yeah. Their game isn't that good. It doesn't travel. And so what they do is, you know, they clean house at their own club, but, but it's, they're not actually getting any better. They're actually getting worse because they know the course so well, they're doing their own thing. We've got to be willing to be vulnerable to the unknown and the uncertainty that we compete with, because that's where we start shining a light on the facets of us that are yet to be yet to emerge, yet to be developed or yet to be refined. And I know it's very cliche to say, right? You know, it's like, oh, you got to struggle to have success. You don't have to struggle to have success. You can succeed without having struggle. But what struggle teaches you is it fills your bookshelf and it teaches you different ways to work through it. It teaches you different ways to find what you're capable of doing. Well, Brett, welcome back to the show. Third time, third time's a charm, no doubt. I'm trying to wrestle with the Suckville theme, you know, and, and, and kind of dive in with you. And as I was, you know, you know, reading some of your chapters and look, listen to you speak constant practice and training can wear you down. Um, you know, I grew up playing, I played division one. It was the goal, but, uh, it wore me down. And I, I had this constant obsession of, am I doing enough? Am I seeing the progress when I battle my swing and go on these bad runs? And I would think to myself, Brett, am I making the right sacrifices? 
uh, when I would not play well or just not be able to get something. Um, and I wanted to get your take on some of that. A great question. Um, you know, I remember sitting in the outfield my fifth year playing baseball and sitting out there going, God, I cannot wait for this to be over with. And then a month after it was over with, I was like, what the hell was I wishing to be done with? Mm -hmm. I'll never go back and lace up the spikes again. I wasn't the guy who was going to play in a men's baseball league or something. I mean, look, all, all the great to the people who do, that wasn't going to be me. But what you're describing is the hard thing, right? I mean, so many of us do the 85% correct. We do all the little things right. We do all the things that, that we're supposed to do. We eat right. We practice correctly. We're out there all the time. And then yet some dude on our team, our squad comes in hungover and plays great. And it blows up the entire formula of what we think we should do. And so to me, it's the 85% is important, but it's the 15% that's between your ears, between here in your gut, in your heart, in your soul that gets it done. Right. And for somebody who is probably struggling like you was much like me was, I don't understand why I'm doing everything right. And I'm not getting the results that I want is we're trying to validate, am I doing it right? We're trying to validate that process too often versus saying, look, if I was dropped here tomorrow and they said, go compete, could I do it? Yeah. There's a competitive aspect of every one of us. We don't need to be like our moms on Christmas day who spends all of our time trying to make sure everybody is sitting in the right spot with the right, you know, place where, and everybody's, and then at the end of the day goes, who was here? Because they missed it because they were so caught up in trying to do it right that they didn't enjoy it. I think what you're describing is, is the conflict that a lot of elite athletes, a lot of people have, which is if I fail, am I doing everything I could? Because that's the only person we can blame. We can't blame, well, we can blame an umpire. We can blame a coach for not playing us. We can do that. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with us. And so when you have to look back and say, have I done everything I possibly could? That's a hard, hard thing. Because you're never going to win that battle. You're never going to say, yes, I did everything I could. You know, and so it, it creates this cycle of perfectionism and cycle of, of really just beating yourself down constantly. Yeah, after a, oftentimes after a bad round or a bad tournament, a bad tournament, let's just say, where you just, just are terrible. It was, that, it was this, this conundrum of, am I going to go punish myself? Yeah. Am I going to go work out tonight and hit the gym? Or am I just going to? Sit and relax and not think about it. And it reminds <laughs> it reminds me of the book, right? Angels and Demons with Dan Brown, where they have the, I guess he was a, a a monk that would go in at the end of the day and he'd put the belt on his leg, slap his back and whip his own back to punish himself to feel the pain that makes him feel connected. Right? That's what we do. That's what we do. We we don't. I had a an athlete many years ago, a pro athlete, who came to me and said, "This is going to be a great year. I hired a nutritionist." And I was like, that's awesome. But if you think a nutritionist is going to make you play better or is going to be the reason you play better, you're missing you. And he was like, what are you talking about? I said, me, your swing coach, uh, the, your nutritionist, your physio, all that. They're not making you play better. You could go out there fat out of shape and not move and probably play okay. Yeah. The factor is you. You're just hiring us to help improve you. They are not the reason you're going to be successful. And I did that my senior year. I, I got down to, I mean, I was skinny as all get out and body fat percent. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time was like, you got to gain some weight. Like, this is scary. I mean, I know it's 
amazing for people to think of that right now looking at me. But the, the fact was I didn't play as well because I had all these expectations that I'd made all these investments that now the good play had to follow. Yeah. And we lose the fact that in front of us every day, it doesn't matter what we've done. All that does is give us tools. In front of us is a challenge in the moment. That's all that it is. Sermon oh. and I have talked about that. Yeah. Uh, we did a mental game, uh, the mental side of an elite short game episode uh, over a year ago. And that can happen too with practice, right? Where you start to put in a great practice plan, especially around the greens in golf for this example. and take course you take it to the course you have all this pressure i've been investing i should be able to be getting up and down right and suddenly you've got more tension you've got all these expectations you have one of the worst short game rounds ever um because of all the carried expectations from the work it's interesting how sometimes the more work you put in if the expectations then align with that and grow exponentially it it almost would have been better to pull a brooks kepka and kind of show up Right and, right and play. Not saying well, it practice, don't believe but, that. Right, don't believe but. that. But <laughs> but it's it's a great story. But the the interesting thing about it is um, that you know as a player, right, we do all that investment to improve our tools. Our our range game never transfers to the golf course. That's a huge myth, mm-hmm. and it's 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 messed up more players than you know. Same like being calm on the golf course. Totally messed up with players. Um, but what we have to do is look at it and say, okay, what tools am I going to take? I've, I've done the training. I've got more tools available to me, but I still have to choose the right tool. Yeah. You know, if I'm sitting there in front of a challenge and I got an entire tool chest full of, you know, hammers and, and screwdrivers and I picked the wrong one, then what you're actually creating with tools is adaptability and flexibility. You're not teaching always hundred percent execution because you're not control in control of all the things that are there. That's why sports that compete against somebody else makes it a little bit easier to be adaptable. The other myth is that you compete against yourself on the golf course. No, you don't because you'd never win. So you don't Hmm. compete against yourself. You compete against a puzzle, a challenge, an unknown. And you've got to look at things from a perspective of what you're doing in that moment to challenge yourself, to put yourself out there. And you do the work to improve those tools, not to guarantee success because you just never know. You just never know. You still have to execute. And execution is never a 100% challenge. Right. Well, I think what, what I was talking about, and then Evan's example, like you, this is what I heard you say, suck fill is a state of mind that makes people confused. Right. Hmm. And I don't know, but what is the, how do they get not confused? And maybe that's player by player, right? Because you just kind of heard me maybe give my take on it. But how do, you, how do you navigate that? And, and for those who haven't read the book yet, maybe a little look into that. Well, Suckville is a, a space, it's the space between what we perceive our potential to be and where our reality actually is. And that it becomes a spot where we're challenging, we're evaluating that on a daily basis. We go play, we come out, and let's use golf as an example because it's probably more salient than anything else. We go out and we play and we go, God, man, I just cannot believe that I've done this work. I've done all this stuff and I'm... I know I'm better than that. Uh, the, the better than that is a real challenge because why? Why today is your better than that going to show up? There's no guarantee of that. And so you have to understand and appreciate that your reality is always improving. See, you're never going to reach your potential in the game of golf in any sport. You're never. You're never going to reach your potential in 
y'all's business and podcast and, and lifestyle brand, you're never going to, you're never going to live up to it because mm -hmm. if you go out and say, now you have a million and a half, um, a million and a half uh, downloads for every episode, you're going to say, well, can we get to 2 million? Right. Right. You're never going to be happy and content. And so the confusing, the confusing part is we don't really understand all the indicators that lead to success. We just can't. There's too many factors that are beyond our control. Success is more of like in statistics, you have like what we call a linear regression where there's different factors that contribute to it, but there's still an unknown in there. And that's what we do. And that's why we get confused. But you have to also appreciate that when you're confused and you're frustrated, that's the best time for learning. So we have to change our mindset to say, okay, what am I learning here? I'm not asking us to walk around like positive poly. What I mean is, all right, I'm struggling. I still got to figure out a way to get it done. And too often when I talk to players, what I find is they're trying to do it right versus trying to get it done. And if they get it done, they're going to do it right. But if they're like trying that. to do it right, they may not ever get it done. Ev, I think that relates to you a little bit. We were talking about that, you know? Yeah, just this weekend, Brett, I, uh, I've been working with Jake Thurm, who I'm sure you know. Yep. Um, yep. And, you know, I played baseball all throughout high school, like you, and I, like so many amateurs, I'm a six right now, I roll it inside, right? And then I use my athleticism to probably come over the top and, um, and swing very armsy. Um, and so Jake's helped me get the club more on plane to start less inside but it's funny how i've i battle with that so much because just this weekend i was trying something it was cold um at least for me in california probably not to firm um but it was cold and misty and i, I it, my body probably just wasn't firing like it was the day before when i was working on that thing and it's so funny how i could have spent the entire day trying to do the right thing in my quote, you know, um, fundamentals. And it, the ball was not, it was ugly. Okay. I'll just say that. And I was like, you know what? Nobody has me on camera right now. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to go to what I know. And I started puring the ball again. And of course the ego in that moment's like, oh yeah, but you're not really doing it right. You're doing that old thing. You're not progressing. You're regressing. But I think that is really important because so many of us are trying to do it right instead of getting it done. I, I, have, I play with 12s all the time that get pissed off because they hit it on the front edge of the green instead of pin high. And it's like, <laughs> dude, you hit the green. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, let's Lou, go putt. Lou, Lou Stagner and Scott Foster, but Lou Stagner um, on Twitter is an amazing follow because he puts up some realistic data on a regular yeah. basis. And you know, tour players who do this for a living, whose life and death is based on things. You know, I'm out there and I play with my players all the time when they come in town and they'll hit the ball. Okay. But they manage it better for the most part, you know, players, just like you're saying, I'm going to do it right by this idea. If I, if I do it exactly correct, I'm going to play right. Not necessarily. You know, you've, you've moved in your way for a long time. And I, th I give a lot of credit to TPI and uh, Greg Rose and Dave Phillips for this for a long time is that they looked at the individual reactivity re response of individuals and said, look, let's not, let's build it around what you're capable of doing. Well, why wouldn't we do that in the mental game too? Why do we think that one mental game process 
affects everybody the same way. So you get done, you work with Jake, you go out and you play and, and you're working on something. Well, if you're out there trying to recreate what you had yesterday, you didn't do the same things that got you to that yesterday, right? What got you to that comfort and being able to execute was probably a lot more balls and searching and finding and all the other things. So what happens is players go out in there and they, they start trying to play golf swing. And as soon as it gets hard, they start working harder and harder to try to create it versus saying, wait, what's the function of what I'm trying to do? In fact, what's the spirit of what Jake's trying to get you to do? Not the exact implementation. What's the spirit? And one of the things I tell all my coaches is you need to ask them, hey, now based on what I've told you, give it back to me in your terms that feels comfortable to you. Okay, so I'll give you an example. So Mark Blackburn is one of my dear friends. Mark, today as we're recording, this is going to be in Milwaukee receiving the National Coach of the Year, PGA National Coach of the Year. Mark teaches a lot of great players on tour. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever been around when it comes to coaching. Um, and he really understands it. Well, I'm six foot five. You know, if, if I were to play, if I were to start the game today, I'd probably have longer clubs than I have, right? My levers are long, but I don't, I'm not going to have that perfect posture of a club that somebody who's five foot eight and the club fits them better. Um, and so I also like a strong grip. Well, I like a strong grip because that feels comfortable for me when I threw a baseball. I could never stand the ball to be way out of my fingers. So I just like that feeling. And so as a result, one of my risks, oh, and by the way, I have an artificial left hip. So when I was playing, I had to start moving the ball, my feet closer together. And I like that. Great. So I go see Mark and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, I tend to have this little draw, a little too much of an overdraw. And I said, you know, I've been trying to neutralize my grip. I've trying to, he goes like, yeah, we're not going to waste time on that. He said, because between X and Y, you're really, really good. We just got to make sure that we don't get on the roller coaster to get to X but I'm not going to change what you do because you don't have the time. You don't have the energy and I'm not going to see you out here trying this. So you have to play to the best of your abilities or the best of what you have in your tank right now. And he gave me two simple things that helped me keep the ball from moving hard left. One ball's got to stay up in front. And then the other one was an interesting thing. He put me on a, um, Oh, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, he put me on a biofeedback mechanism thing. K vest. And he said, oh, I'll be right back. I got to run up to the club and do a meeting. And I knew what he was doing. He wanted me to self-discover. And he said, I want you to feel this. I want you to feel like your head is behind the ball at contact. Because if I'm going to take the club on the inside and I'm, you know, I'm going to do that, then I'm going to tend to get over the top and pull left. And, and so he said, I want you to feel this. And I was like, I can't do this. I mean, I kept trying, kept trying. And finally, it hit me. I found the individual key that worked for me. And I went on a run where I was cutting the ball. I was doing everything I wanted to do really, really well. It was the same thing when I had the chipping yips. I went and saw Mark and he put me in the perfect technique and I could do it with him. I'd get out on the course and I would just pee down my leg. I mean, I couldn't do it. So I went and bought an orange whip wedge trainer and I said, let me figure this out. See, I think that's the mistake that we make is that we try to do things right versus saying, let me figure out what the spirit of what I was trying to do. Once I got the orange whip and figured it out my way, it was almost identical to what Mark taught me. But it was in my mechanism. It was my discovery that allowed me to do it. I think players have to understand that you have an A game, a B game, a C game. You also have a D and an F, but we're not going to talk about that. I'm going to blame that on the swing coach. But you have an A game, a B game, and a C game. Players and coaches teach to the A game. They automatically romanticize this idea that every time they go out, it is going to be perfect. The A game happens 5 10% of the time. Uh, it really very rarely. I was doing a clinic, um, an AJGA clinic with Billy Horschel, one of my longtime clients. And 
I brought this point up. He goes, God, I think I had the A game three times this year. And it wasn't mm. the days he won. <laughs> okay. He, it, and, and sometimes it's, it's like, but he managed his game, his B, B minus game. He won the match play with a B minus game for five days. It was remarkable. I was so excited because it showed the power of his middle game. But when you have your C game, which happens like you, it happened to you, Evan, you had it and you were still trying to find your A game swing versus going, wait a minute, let me downshift. It it is what it is. I'm out here. It's tough. This is when I, you know, I hit my fairway finder. I go to three. And usually what happens if we accept that we play ourselves out of it. Right. But we, a lot of times ego doesn't allow us to be that mentally flexible to say, you know what? It is what it is. It's more along the lines. I got to prove this. I got to prove that I did that work really good versus, Hey, wouldn't it be more adaptable if you came in and you said, man, I had my C game and I shot, man, I shot 77. There's a six handicap. I'd take that. Oh yeah. Now part of you is going to go, why did I hit it so bad? Right. If you ask players, would you rather score well and hit it bad or score? Okay. And hit it phenomenally. 95% 95% of players will say, I want to hit it well, because it's a prediction model. Well, if I hit it bad today, I'm probably going to hit it bad tomorrow too. But if I hit it good today, there's a chance I'm going to hit it good tomorrow and I'm going to hit the, I'm going to hit the mother load. And when I do, I'm going to take everybody's money or I'm going to play really good versus, hey, why don't we, why don't we train the skills of playing really good? Yeah, two, two things there. And I don't want to get too much into the swing mechanics, but that lesson with Mark, and there's a reason why he's, he is who he is, and he's PGA Teacher of the Year. You could you, you could put the ball more up in your stance, and you can have that feeling of having your head a little further back. That's different than trying to force your hands, your wrists, your arms, or pulling your hip coming down, right? So yeah. I just think that's a great look into. He knows you're a great athlete, you know, to embrace that and kind of find your version. You said, and that's what's important, right? So about twenty years ago, God, I can't believe it's been long. 20 years ago, we went to my daughter's high, uh, middle school because they were introducing this brand new level of math. Okay. And it was this new way came from California and Alabama, things that come from California. If it's not avocados, we're not really excited. Right. I mean, <laughs> I guess true. avocados, they come from Mexico, but probably through California, but you get avocado it. toast. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We'll do that. Sushi, some sure. chili flakes. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But trust me, in Alabama, things that come from California, we tend to look like a complete, like, please stop in Austin, Texas. Okay. So, um, but anyway, this, everybody, it was this whole idea about estimation versus teaching the fundamentals of math. Right. And it was this crazy thing. And all the parents were all upset. And I was upset. I was like, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And so they brought in the person who created this. And we had, I mean, this is a school of high-performing parents, a lot of doctors, a lot of engineers, a lot of math-centric people, right? So we're all in this auditorium, and I mean, we are ready to brawl. And she walks out on stage, and she says, okay, everybody, I want you to add 43 plus 28 in your head. Okay, what'd you get, 71? Okay, how did you do it? And she said, how many of you estimated and then subtracted? How many of you saw it in your head and did the math on a chalkboard in your head? And she went through like 10 different scenarios and she said, what I'm teaching is that, but what we're missing in this school because of the way they implemented it was we didn't teach them the foundations. See, we jumped ahead after I teach the foundations, I want them to adapt to them. She had us eating out of her hand by the end Mm. because she was exactly right. 
And what she was saying is that's real world math. Okay. Well, that's what the same thing in the golf swing is. I watch players all the time. So Mark plays in our group and we play quite regularly and we'll give him a hard time and, and whatever. And, but he'll always come back and go, guys, listen, enjoy the game. He's like, I'm not out here shooting 70, you know, every time I play. He's like, look, I'll throw a club like anyone else, you know, and he'll do that. Somebody like, will he and I will play with that sometimes to let people know it's okay to get upset. But yeah. the thing that's important is that as players, we all have our own physical movement screen. We also have our own psychological fingerprint. We all see things different. We all experience things differently. I'm trying to get them to be Ben Hogan. And yet Ben Hogan hit 10,000 balls a day and never, you know, was never emotional. And yet, let me think, Tiger Woods is probably the most emotional golfer I've seen and was really good. I don't know if anyone else thought that. He didn't play like Hogan. So why are we trying to force it down somebody's, you know, and Lee Trevino was different and, you know, Boo Weekly was his own way and Bubba's his own way. Why, why can't we just say, hey, here's the challenge, solve the puzzle. Golf, golf is like an obstacle course on that show Wipeout. You stand on the top, they blow the whistle and off you go. And you're running along and you feel good and, and Evan gets knocked out, Matt gets knocked out, but you get back up. Okay, and you start running again. And then all of a sudden, man, I'm like cruising. I'm on the 15th hole and man, I'm, I haven't made a bogey. And then all of a sudden, trap door. And, and I can't handle that. So as a player, we have to understand that there's going to be problems out there. There's going to be mistakes. But we've written books and we've described this just gorgeous experience of golf in the kingdom. It's just magical or the inner game of golf and tennis where it's just this ideal, no thought experience. It's all, it's all impossible to achieve. You know, rather put your mouthpiece in and let's get ready for a brawl. <laughs> and let's get the ball moving down the fairway. Like people will say, oh, I hit that wrong, but it goes where you want it to go if your process is usually good. And then, but you step out of your house and you miss the first step and you twist your ankle, but you don't fall down. You don't look at that and go, God, I suck at walking. You look at that and go, yeah, that was a pretty athletic move right there. <laughs> Saved that spill. Why? I mean, when we watch basketball, we don't, Steph Curry knocks down a three-pointer way and go, hips were perfectly aligned with target. Mm -hmm. No, he was coming off a screen. He hit and he shot and he got it up there a zillion times faster than anybody else. But he's done this foundational work and then he adapts because he's done his foundational work. He's not just winging it. Yeah, Brett, I want to take, I want to go back to something you just, you said a few minutes ago, because I think it's really important. I think it's relevant to what you just said, which is what tools do you have? And what tool are you going to go with, right? So a personal example for me is I went through a, a social experience a few weeks ago and I got really down. Like it was one of those moments I was talking to my coach about that I referenced earlier that mm -hmm. just really, it drove me crazy, right? And one of my patterns and my tendencies being a coach myself is, and having the tools is I beat myself up for shutting down because I think my expectation, which is too high of an expectation, is that I can think my way out of it, I can choose a tool, and I can go on a new path, right? I can, I can adapt. But one thing that she's taught me recently, which has really helped, is, well, what do I need right now? And sometimes accepting an unpleasant situation for being unpleasant might be the best tool I have at that moment, right? Yeah. Trying to make an unpleasant experience more pleasant 
might not be possible for me in that moment. And the constant friction there of trying to make unpleasant pleasant versus accepting it and not shutting down as much, but trying to sit in it, I think is a, a lesson that sounds so simple yet is so challenging to execute on a regular basis because we are wired to constantly be, which is a good thing. We constantly want to reach for better. We constantly have rockets of desire shooting, but um, I think that's really important to just constantly be checking in with yourself and asking, okay, what tools do I have? Okay, I could think about it differently. I could do this, but maybe accepting the unpleasantness is the best tool that you have in that moment. Well, and you said a magic word, sit in it. And and I tell that to my athletes all the time is it's okay to sit in it. Yeah. You know, if you sit in it, you'll realize you can survive it, but you may not want to repeat it, but it's okay. I think a lot of times we see tension. Not a lot of times we see tension as a threat indicator, right? There's a problem. Mm-hmm. And many times what we can do is actually sit there and real and serve and, and endure it. I'm a huge fan clinically in my clinical practice when I used to do that more. And and it's come on a lot more recently, but I'm a huge fan of Stephen Hayes and what we call ACT, which is acceptance and commitment-based therapy. And it's really a great way of life. It's a lot of Buddhist style stuff, but it's a combination of what we call cognitive behavioral, which is, you know, the way we think and the way we act and, and working in unison. But ACT, what that says is I can handle anything that comes my way. I can accept it. And, you know, it was so funny. I did a podcast with him on my podcast. And it was, this was like me talking to like one of my favorite people. Right. And, and I bring him on and he's like, you know, you got to have this psychological flexibility. And I was like, Oh my God, I've been calling it mental flexibility. Like I hadn't seen him reference that. And then he talked about, and so I used to tell my players, I was like, look, you got to be prepared when you are in a tough environment. It's like inviting a friend to a party, you know, they're coming, but you know that they're going to bring five or six of their friends that are just total a-holes you don't sit there and get angry the entire time you're at the party. You go, Hey, I got a plan for when they're here. I'm just going to be prepared. Well, I'm sitting there doing the podcast and Steven goes, it's kind of like when you invite a friend to a party. And I was like, Oh my God, it was this moment of like, of, of cohesion. That was just such a light bulb moment for me. So when we sit in it, what happens is, you know, we spend so much of our time trying to get out immediately out of a tension filled state. We try to get out of an uncomfortable situation immediately. If you've ever had a panic attack, if you've ever had significant anxiety, you know the goal is to escape. But one of the best things to do with a panic attack, yes, I've had them. I've had the legit ones where you feel like you're going to vomit and die, is sometimes just to be your best reporter of it and say, tell me what I'm feeling versus I got to get out of it. That's the natural thing. Well, it's the same way in golf, right? Sometimes you got to sit in a bad shot. It's like, hey, I just hit a ball in the water and I'm embarrassed. First of all, no one cares. Second, nobody's really paying that much of attention to you. So instead of rushing through it, just sit in it for a minute and be like, oh man, that really sucked. That was a really bad shot, but I don't suck because that's always the problem. We add on and we pile on ourselves. And just sometimes just sitting in that misery of like, it's okay to be, to have had a bad shot. It's okay. It's not what I want, but it's okay. I can survive this. I can endure this. Mm -hmm. And what happens is once we realize that the worst thing that we feared for so long will not beat us down, just like you in an uncomfortable situation. It's like now, next time you're in that situation, one is you've probably taught yourself, oh, I can endure this. But two, it's not as, it's not as novel because you've gone through it. Now, you will never experience the exact same scenario again, but you'll see things that are similar. Well, it's the same as golf. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, you you were talking about Horschel, right? Yep. A lot, lot, lot of B game, some C game. Once had it, his maybe his best year yet. Um, I mean, Brett, if we have our C game, right, our C physical game, we can still have our maybe our A minus mental game, maybe our A mental game. My dad used to say to us, and I'm curious about uh, every player is different. Every client's different with you. And you've got to communicate to them in different ways to make them tick or, you know, not take them the wrong way. But he used to say, hey, whatever happens today, keep a good attitude and be tough. And I thought that was something, you know, now I was a junior player. I mean, now some people might take that as negative, like, well, don't think whatever could happen. You know, like it, it may not be going well out there when. So I wanted to get your thought on that. When do, when do, when do airlines and pilots and, and flight attendants go over the crash landing procedures? When you're calm sitting on the runway. Yeah. They don't do it when you're at 30,000 feet and it's hitting the fan. So they do it because at that moment, it's the best time to educate. And people go, oh my God, they're going to like, nobody ever think, <laughs> thinks that by them talking about crash landing procedures, it increased the likelihood of us crashing. No, it increase the likelihood of us surviving people, people in golf. The one I hate so much is the mind doesn't know what the word don't means complete bullshit. Okay. Doesn't exist. Huh? <laughs> to the nth degree. <laughs> okay. Completely made up storyline. I, I, I researched as best I could and found it came out of a hypnotherapy brochure. Okay. Somebody brought it up in a workshop and then it, it started perpetuating and it went through the golf world like crazy. All your mind will hear is hit it in the water. No, that doesn't exist. Okay. It's another one of those things, a well-intentioned. It's kind of like I get flustered with the whole growth mindset piece right now because um, everybody jumps on that. But the fact is, is like, don't hit it in the water. Well, that's tension. What right. your mind hears is that's a problem. Well, let's go ahead and look at it. Look at the water. So what? We went and played, me and my buddies, we went down and played um, stadium course at Sawgrass uh, two weeks ago, three weeks nice. ago, right before they closed. And Caddy's got us out there and we're walking and, and we get to 17 and he's like, hey, look, we're going to play these two. They were closing the next day for airification, not airification, overseeding. So he's like, look, we can do whatever we want. And he said, I want you to play the back tees on 18 and whatever. I was like, this is awesome. And he said, I want you to look at that water. And I've been out there a ton inside the ropes during practice rounds. It looks and it's framed a lot different when the structures are up, but you know, I'm standing up there and I'm like, it's just a target. Now I'm not playing in the player's championship. So take that out. Thing. But it's so easy to look at that on the left and go, that is a big freaking lake. But have you ever gone up to the target and look backwards? What you realize is a hell of a lot of space. See, when we ignore or afraid to look at something, we don't see the perspective. And even one of my soccer athletes told me, Try to see yourself in third person, not first person. Like, you know, Call of Duty, you look through the eyes of the shooter. Fortnite, you look through the eyes behind the shooter. Mm -hmm. Try to look behind you from above. Yeah. You start seeing a whole new perspective. And that's the whole thing, right? So instead of saying, don't, let's look at it. Like, what the hell's the word? Are you going to be afraid of it? Totally. My God, look at it. Well, I, yeah, I'm all in there. I have found my worst moments, you know, I'm, I tend to miss the ball to the right. Mm -hmm. And if the water's on the right off the tee or something, and, and I just kind of go, oh, and I don't think about it. And I don't, you know, take it in. I mm -hmm. shoot, the, don't shoot the yardage. Don't think about where it cuts out, what the wind's doing. It's, chances are it might go there. 
right? Yeah. But like developing a plan of, okay, you know, it's here, know everything about it. And now do your thing, do your shot. It's there. You know, it's there. Yeah. When we're driving on the road and we have a shoulder on the right and, uh, you know, cars driving by on the left on a two lane road, you know, they're there, but yet it's amazing. And when you were first driving, you were probably squeezing the hell out of the steering wheel and you're probably, but now you look further up down the road and you can identify and, and, you know, see more problems happening before they ever happen. Why, why do the other one that gets me is golfers, not one to look at a scoreboard, name another sport where we don't have an active scoreboard. Every pitch I threw in college, there was a scoreboard right behind me. Mm-hmm. Like I knew what the count was. So all those things that we create, we make it harder on ourselves versus yeah. saying, this is a challenge. Go compete, find your way, find what works for you. So Evan's out there playing. He's trying to, you know, keep it on from the inside Wait, Hey, look, when we go compete, dude, you're probably going to take it on the inside. Okay. But it's okay. Yeah. So how do we get the ball moving down the fairway? How do we, how do we commit to a shot? And allow our body to be a dynamic process because there is an amazing self-correction mechanism that's in our body. So if we allow our mind to be focused on what we're trying to accomplish, all those other things are just noise and clutter. Yeah. Yeah. One thing you made me think of, Brett, which is, again, a simple principle, but something that is so difficult for people to grasp, especially if they haven't done a lot of self-work or mindfulness, whatever you want to call it. Um, is being the observer. And that's what you spoke about being the third person view, right? Like we're, there's automatic thought patterns that we have. And a lot of times we see ourselves as our thoughts. And it's funny, some people don't react very well to this idea. It's very foreign concept to some people of like, well, you're actually not those thoughts. Those are things that you've thought before. It's patterns. It's things you probably learned as a kid, whatever. Um, but how can you observe yourself thinking those thoughts and then you can choose new ones, but that's, I think that takes practice, but a lot of people don't, that's a tough thing for people to grasp right away. It is. I, I had a, I did a Instagram live with a colleague of mine in the baseball world, Alan Jager, who in the golf world, if you don't follow him, you need to, Alan's a California dude. He's been around baseball a long time. He was a pitching coach, very into mindfulness, very into meditation. And I had spent some time, I'd come out and spoken to the Southern Cal PGA and I'm always fascinated talking to surfers because Mm. surfers have this amazing feel, this amazing perspective of, dude, I wake up in the morning, I throw on my wetsuit, I go out and get in the ocean and I just, it's like they connect with the chaos. They don't fight it. They don't fight the waves. They ride the waves. They wait for whatever nature gives them. They're going into the biggest abyss that we know besides space, okay, that we can all touch. We can't touch space unless you got billions of dollars, but we can all touch water, but we don't know what's underneath there, right? But yet we can go out there. We can, we can allow ourselves to be vulnerable and, and surfers have this amazing feel of like, I just took what they had in front of me today and I wrote it. And, you know, and I'm like, man, imagine if we did that in life. Like I can, I'm not saying to go through life and be non-motivated or whatever. No, no, no. What I'm saying is have that moment where you always look at yourself and say, you know what? I've got a good understanding of what I'm doing, but yet once I go and compete, it's all about the uncertainty. It's all about the unknown. So if I can look at myself as a third person, if I can see myself, you know, and understand why I have thoughts, you know, pressure of competition impacts us physically, mentally, decision-making and grittiness. 
well, how does pressure impact your thinking? Well, more times than not, it triggers more negative thoughts because thought is a thought is a threat detection system. So it's trying to identify the risks. So if you understand what your thought patterns are, those automatic thoughts, exactly right, then you start realizing it's, man, a lot of it's self-preservation or some of it's trying not to fail or whatever. So yeah. I, want to t I want to take the train real quick, sir. I want to take the train mm. to one of the biggest areas of Suckville. Um, and I coach, I've coached a couple people with this mm. and I've heard you talk about this on other podcasts, Brent, and I heard you struggle with it yourself. Let's, let's take it to Yipstown. Oh, yeah. Um, and one thing that I think is really interesting, cause this is arguably the lowest point of Suckville, depending on your relationship with it. Um, we talked a year ago last time you were on, I think it was like episode number 127 or so. And, um, you said that just go have fun is terrible advice, right? Terrible. Especially, and Foley said the same thing. We had him on, mm -hmm. right? Tour pros, this is their, for a lot of them, this is their entire identity. And their results is, is everything, right? And so mm -hmm. I find that people with the yips, we know that it comes from embarrassment and avoidance, which you've talked yep. about. Yep. Um, but just like we wouldn't tell a tour pro to go have fun, my question is, how do you help someone with the yips to learn how to play with the thing that makes them feel so inadequate? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, I get that call quite a bit in my practice because people are like, I, you know, man, I, I should be able to beat these. Okay. They follow panic attacks identically. Most panic attacks come from people who are control people. Like we, we're, we're trying to over control an uncontrollable environment. So our body starts spiking arousal and we're trying to control and suppress it from happening. And that the more we're trying to suppress, the more anxiety we're creating, which is just feeding itself on fire. It's the same with yips, right? You go out and you play and let's say yips like me were chipping. I'd go out there and I'd be like, okay, I can't miss the screen. I got it. Well, lo and behold, you're going to miss the green. Okay. Now I've got it. So now it triggers this mind of, uh Oh, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Oh God, I did it. Mm -hmm. And this embarrassment sets in. And so the better way to look at it and to play with it is, yeah, okay, I've got an issue. Okay. Do I have a way to play through it? Do I have a mechanism I can go to? You know, chipping, for instance, I, we have a guy in our group that I love to play with, but he'll putt from anywhere. Like he'll putt out of a bunker if he has to, if there's not a big lip. And he's actually pretty proficient at it. He's like, I don't care what you think. I'm winning money. You know, he's not trying to, and, and, I give him credit for it. Just being who he is. I mean, like, it's okay. He's like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to be a teacher or anything. I'm not measured on my abilities to teach or showcase a great talent. I'm just trying to get the ball in the hole. And so, you know, if you, if you struggle on yips putting, if you struggle on yips chipping, we got to get some way that allows you to play with what you have versus trying to get rid of them. So, I'm okay with people, you know, like inside three feet, having a different putting grip and setup that allows them to compete. You're not cheating yourself. Now we can help you with the yips. We can give you some things to do, but they're always going to be there in the undercurrent. Mm -hmm. But what I want you to do is to say, Hey, when I do this, this is allows me to make putts. So one of the things I always tell players with the yips is you're going to miss it anyway. So why don't we just put a stroke on that you love, <laughs> whether it's speed or line. And usually what happens is by taking away that outcome, it really matters. 
for chipping for me, it was getting that orange whip wedge trainer thing and figuring out how to make it work. And once I did that, there was one or two keys I have, and now I enjoy it. I see it as a challenge. And that little mindset shift of, of a challenge versus a reflection is huge. Because now if I make a mistake, I kind of believe I'm a good chipper. I believe I have a good short game. I've shown it to myself many times. So I don't look at it as like, God, you idiot. Why are we continuing to have this same problem? Well, we're, what I'm actually saying is, God, I hope I get another one like that soon. And so what we have to do from a, from a yip standpoint is to see it as it, it's not who you are. It does, it does hurt. It is painful. But we have to be willing to put ourselves in that situation and find a way to manage it, to work through it, not get over it. And sometimes it's chipping with a lower lofted club, sometimes even out of the rough. Sometimes it's, you know, if you miss a, a green, sometimes it's going to take three to get up and down, but that's okay. I can take that. If we have short putts, it's, this is what I do to make it. Who cares? I don't care what people say or think. It's all about getting it in the hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is great because I'm thinking about the surfing analogy and I don't know much about surfing. I've never done it. You know, I don't have it. You know, we got a big lake here in Chicago, but you can't really surf it. Right. Um, in the yips, and you're you talking about surfing, what could happen is you're in the abyss. I never thought about how it is the abyss of the world because there's space and then this is the unknown. And then the yips, right? And people have the yips can't commit to, you know, doing a right move or getting the right frame of mind. So, I mean, Brett, surfers, what they're doing, that's the ultimate form of commitment, right? Golfers, you know, we see the water and we're freaked out. We don't commit. We hit it in because we think that's the end of the world. Right. Where they could literally have the end of the world. Yeah. They've got to commit, you know, to hitting that wake or, and then, but it, all they can do is do that. And, and the result could be the worst. And, and they take what's it's fascinating how you put that. Yeah. And they take what's coming their way. Like on days that there's great waves, they do great stuff. And there's days that it's low, then they, you know, it's just nice to be out here. And, mm. you know, it, it's, it's really amazing. Like, and, and I think that's what we have to look at what golf gives us. We don't have the standard every day. Like why it, it, it we don't start. I, I do work with gymnasts at university of Alabama and they're really, really good. And I said, you guys all think you start with a 10 and then it just reduces off of that. No, that's not true. You start with a zero and you build up. Because you're going to naturally, because if you're trying not to make mistakes, you're going to make them. So instead, let's put on a show. Let's execute. There was a great gymnast a couple of years ago from UCLA that her, her, her routine went viral. And what, why it went viral was when she was on the floor and she was doing her routine, it was so infectious. She was putting on a show and she knew it. That's what we have to do in a lot of our stuff, right? Is instead of holding on for dear life, let's, let's be different. Yeah. Yeah. The times that I, I, I find myself being proud of my game when I'm out there, or when I know I don't really have it today, I'm trying to win money and you know, it's a tight part five on the 11th hole, but it's 500 yards to so just rip driver. There's mm -hmm. trouble, right? There's trouble left. Just, you can hit driver and make Eagle. And then, you know what? I haven't hit a lot of good drives today. Yeah. And I'm up in the match with my teammate yeah. pulling out a three wood or a hybrid. I, I don't think I, I, might not, I might not have Eagle on this hole today and, and, and recognizing that and committing to that. And uh, 
but that's when I want you to sit in it is to get on the tee box. You can choose whatever club you're most comfortable with at that moment. Okay. Yeah. But let's not rush through it. Let's sit in and just be, okay, this is how I feel. Right. Let instead of like, hurry up and hit this and get this done and get this in place so I can move on. It's like, Hey, this is what I feel. Yeah. I'm not asking you to play a seven hour round. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying is just simply for a second or two, a couple of seconds to be like, all right, this is a tough hole. I'm yeah. not feeling it. Data. I got a tough hole data and I want to play to the best of my ability. That's data. The drama would be, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What's the right thing to do? What, why do I feel this? That's all extra outside yeah. drama. It's all bogus. Ego, yeah. It's all ego, right? And, and the data is where we need to be. If we can be a data-based player is, you know, and, and that's why I think like Lou Stagner stuff is so good. It's like, Hey, look, you know, you know, you've got players that are going to, I saw one the other day from 80 yards on in the fairway on tour. Um, one out of four shots will end up outside 20 feet for a tour player. People are like, Oh, I thought you're supposed to hit that to two feet. Yeah. No, I mean, it's hard. Okay. It's real hard. Now there are some other factors, you know, their pins are often tucked and on ridges and all that other stuff. And they're really good at stuff, but they're, they're just like us. I mean, they're competing against a challenge. If they can see it as a puzzle, they can see it as a challenge, as an obstacle course, then that allows them to be more tool-driven than validation-driven. Yeah, yeah, Brett, what you talked about with putting on a show kind of reminds me of something Matt and I have talked about, which is our motto is enjoy the ride, right? Mm-hmm. And before my member guest, my new motto was like, I'm going to enjoy the hunt. And yeah. I think a lot of times it's offensive versus defensive, just two modes, right? And offensive doesn't mean going for pins, hitting driver every time. It's a mindset thing. It's an intention thing. Yeah. I catch myself in that all the time. Like, okay, what was that data that Brett? Okay. So Brett, you just identified some areas of data. Oh, so those four pieces of data, that was defensive right Mm -hmm. there. How can I intend to play offense and quote, put on a show? That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do something spectacular. But it's amazing what those two, how different the results are when you compare those two modes and change nothing else. Well, Alan Jager, I'll go back to him. He's said something for years that I've always remembered is he said, look, you know, if you're going to play in your member guest, Evan, what are three things that if you did every single time on every shot you'd like? Well, most people would say kind of just take awareness of where I'm at, have a clear plan and get after it. Okay. What would ruin that? Because you can do that on every shot. It doesn't matter where you are, what pressure you're on, or anything. You can do those three things every single time. And that's a great question. He works with a lot of major league pitchers. And, he, and when he asked me that, he said, you know, when you were pitching, what would you want to do on every single pitch? And I was like, I told him, I was like, God, man, where were you when I played? Like <laughs> that, that was so intuitive because truly there's nothing. I watched the Astros Braves game the other night and they had a, um, Pitcher in for the Atlanta or for the Houston Astros. I think his last name is Matan. He's got a wicked slider. I mean, this thing like moves way too much, but he was so present between each pitch. It was brilliant to watch. Now his personality looked to be very stoic and quiet. Then they came right in next with a guy who was a lefty, long hair and whipping it and throwing 98 miles an hour. And he was an amp up guy, right? But they were both so present before they went into the chaos, before each pitch. They did their thing. And routine, so often I'll ask a player, 
you know, tell me about your routine. Well, I do this, this. Why? Why do you do that? Well, it keeps me from missing the ball right. And it keeps me like, yeah, total protection mode. Right. Versus why do you do this? Well, when I do this, I knock this shit out of it. Or I roll it so good. It was funny. I went out to ping the guys at ping Paul Wood and, and those guys that are brilliant. I'm a huge fan. I'm not sponsored by ping. I've got a, a bag with a bunch of them in there, but I just love their science. And, and I think Paul's amazing. And so, and, and Eric and those other guys there, they asked me to come in and go through a putter fitting when I was in Scottsdale for the tournament. And I was like, okay, yeah. And I had gone to like an arm lock putter because I just didn't like the way I rolled it from inside five or six feet. And I just felt, I just felt like I was always trying to prevent the left from happening. So the arm lock, I couldn't go left, whatever. And so we went through the whole fitting and the uh, Jeff who was doing the putter fitting looked at me and said, you know, everything you've ever done in your putting and every correction that you've tried to fix with equipment has actually magnified your problem. Right. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. He's like, yeah. That, that putter, because I had my putter with me, he's like, this putter has a serious left bias. So now the only way you can do it is to hold the face open. And he said, looking at your data, you're not a face open putter. You're a rotator. So we need a club that allows you to rotate. So they fit me for a brilliant putter. First time I've ever been truly fit and built a putter for me. And it was down to what color do I want the head how, where do I want the line? Because if I had a black head, I could see it in my backswing. If I have a silver head, I can't see it. Mm. My putting has improved ridiculously much. I mean, ridiculous. Because now I step up over a ball and I don't worry about if it may go left. Or, my whole thing is about intention. Let's hit a good putt. And it's so funny. I'll watch. I have a five-footer. You know, I'll run a putt by and I'm like, Ugh. and those thoughts will pop in. I'm like, let's just put a good stroke on it. And it's amazing where the damn ball goes, right mm -hmm. in the center. Yep. That's how we have to think. It's all about intention and purpose, not about prevention. So I know we've only got a few minutes. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to end maybe on, you know, you again, you, you define Suckville as the dreaded space between our reality and our potential of where we think we should be, right? Yep. And um, I got the book right here. I loved it, and I did you like it? I mean, I seriously, did. was I it did. good? Yeah, okay, very good. I'm not, I'm um, not short-winded, as you know. No, <laughs> no, and the stories, uh, from baseball to golf to all around to quotes from Michael Phelps, like I think it, it has a lot of relatable, entertaining things, which is important. Um, but I'd love for us to end maybe on so people can relate. What is your, um what was your lowest or longest time in Suckville? Oh, and, easy. And oh, what yeah. were you, what did you do to help get out of it? So just to give a little background, when I went to LSU, I was a preferred walk-on. I, I matured very, very late. I should have been held back for athletic purposes, not for academics. Um, but I went to school, I, I went to school young, but I didn't grow into my senior year. So I didn't have any offers. I didn't have anything, but I had an opportunity to be a preferred walk-on at LSU to be, you know, member of the team and all the other stuff. So sh yeah, I'm going to take that. And we won the national title. The next year I wasn't good enough. Um, and so we redshirt. I, I didn't redshirt, but I actually got sick with mono, but I wasn't going to play that year. I mean, I, I'd thrown a couple innings and I wasn't that good. I came back and I was, dude, I was dominant after I got over mono. I mean, like I was dominant and in the fall practice and I got hurt and 
you know, I, it would have been easier to have a broken ankle because what I had was we thought shoulder tendonitis. It was probably a torn labrum, mm. but we didn't know that. So I rested. I came back and my motion changed, my throwing motion, my mechanics changed, my confidence changed, my focus changed, everything. I was trying to recreate that magical fall that I had. And I got so low during that time that I was mm. pitching constantly trying to find what I used to have versus what, trying to get guys out with what I did have. It wasn't until my June, my fourth year. So we won the national title that year and I pitched about 10 innings, but I was supposed to be the third starter and I ended up just not playing much at all. So it was really hurtful. I go back the fall before my junior year, I was ready to quit. I mean, I was in absolute miseryville, but I started working with the guy and he was like, look, just let's take what you got and beat people with it. And that was the first time I'd ever really thought about that. And I'll tell people all the time, look, I threw 83, 84, maybe 85 on a good day in the SEC against the best baseball competition in the world, in the country, in college, you know, where guys are going right up to the major leagues after one or two years in the minors. And I was throwing 83, 84 miles an hour and striking guys out left and right because I had this inherent belief that I could with what I had that day. I wasn't trying to, that year, I just totally accepted that this is what I have and what I am. Now, I made the mistake after that year. I was like, okay, now let's start rebuilding my plan. Let's get back to what I was. I tried to change my mechanics again. And I was fine my senior year. I was good, but I wasn't what I was that previous year because I was constantly trying to get myself optimized for the draft that I felt like I had lost and all that. I wasn't pitching in the present. So I had been in Suckville, got out of it, got back in it. And, and it wasn't until the end when I said, hey, this isn't going to happen. Just screw it. Let it rip. Let's go compete. I started playing great again. And it was more along the lines of just take what you have and do something with it. And that was when I was in Suckville. I've been in Suckville in my job. I've been in Suckville in my business. Um, you know, I, I, I've been in a situation where I was in a really, really profitable job before I went out of my own practice and I hated it. Um, I felt like I wasn't utilized. It was a great job. I mean, it was unbelievable. Probably have a hell of a lot less stress than I have in today's world. But, you know, it wasn't what I wanted. And so, you know, I, I've done this in my business. I, you know, got in a spot where, going into work every day was tough. I didn't enjoy it. Now I'm in a much better spot. I, I wear shorts every day and I don't really care. I do what I do and players want to work with me. Great. If they want to leave me, that's their prerogative. I get it. I stopped putting all my value in what everybody else thought. I just said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, and it's kind of what I said before we started. I don't know what the book's going to do, but I wrote it. I actually wrote it to me. Hmm. And Ryan holiday made a statement years ago that said, write to someone when you write a book, yep. I wrote it to me. Okay. And that helps. So it, it's a little bit of my journey. It's a little bit of my process, but it's also speaking to me on what I need to do every day. So I'm not sitting here as a person who's conquered Suckville. I'll slip back into it on occasion. Um, I'd say I was probably in it last week. I was extremely worn out and tired and probably not the most positive frame of mind, but we do, we slip into it all the time. Yep. <laughs> sit, sit in it. Oh yeah, sit in. Yeah. I mean, we're ah, mired. I, I love that you guys yeah. are both yeah, talking about yeah. that too. Well, and it's it's just what it is, and I think we have to teach people to realize it's okay. It's simply it's okay. Yeah. Well, I loved it, Brett. Thank you as always for Same. coming on the show. I think to close it out, I think ultimately it comes down to something you said on Mark Immelman's podcast, which is beat yourself up or build yourself up. That's it. And and breaking free from Suckville helps you build yourself up. And. That's it. If you guys aren't following Brett, follow him at Dr. Brett McCabe. That's B-H-R-E-T-T -T on Instagram, Twitter, brettmccabe.com. 
as well as getting the book on Amazon. Either one um, works. Anything else that we didn't go over that we missed or that you want to reiterate? Before let let me just say this. This yeah. is a soapbox moment for me for one second. I'll do it quickly. Um, we're living in a world right now that's very stressful. It's very exhausting. A lot of people are suffering from depression, anxiety, and you feel like you're alone. You feel like you are in a suck villain. You feel like you're wrong for feeling that way. You're not. Um, reach out to your doctor, reach out for help, get out for a walk, eat healthy. We, we're living in a world that's really stressful. Okay. And it's not just because of COVID. It's just because of the demands we place on ourselves. Depression, anxiety rates are soaring because we're never taking time away. If you need help, DM me. I'll try to get you some people in your area. But it's something that's really important. You know, I, I think if we can if we can curb the upcoming mental health pandemic, I think we're going to be in a much better way. And and golf could be one of those ways to do it. So don't don't kick yourself in the shins when you're trying to enjoy what you're doing. So yeah. if you need some help, let me know. Happy to help out. Brett, well, always thoughtful, always inspiring. Thank and you. Brett, you know, once we're, we're not doing much, but the small thing we're trying to do is make the mental game and talking about this stuff a little bit more accessible and relatable. So anything we can Absolutely. do to support you, partner with you. Absolutely. Um, we're all about it. So thank you. Guys I've, got, I've got a great, I've got a great guest idea for you. Okay. You need to reach out to Dr. Kevin Chapman. Okay. And uh, he is a psychologist based in Louisville, Kentucky. The single greatest communicator I've ever listened to. <laughs> and uh, especially when it comes to anxiety. Okay. So that's my gift to y'all. Love it. All right. You got it. Y'all be good. All right. Thank you. Okay.